Well, I'm, rumors of my death are highly exaggerated. I'm still kicking. I'm not retired. I'm rewired. And I'm here next week's July 4th, and Howard called me a few weeks ago and said, you know, I'd like you to come speak the Sunday before July 4th. You know, it's part of our celebration of freedom. He said, Ron, you do believe in free speech, don't you? And I said, I do. He said, well, then would you come and give one? And I said, okay, okay. You know, in, in uh, my rewirement, one of my ministries, wherever I preach, is to remind congregations to take care of your pastors. It's tough being a pastor, a biblically faithful pastor in America today. Uh, but particularly just in the last few years, the culture has totally turned on the church of Jesus Christ. It's a culture now of darkness and death. And pastors that are faithful are really getting killed. Not just outside their churches, but sometimes within the church. Because you're being seduced all week long by this culture of darkness and death. I'm so glad you've given Howard a sabbatical. But take care of Murray. My, well, I've known Murray since Lincoln administration, wasn't it? Uh, and Kim, and you've got a great pastoral team. Pray for them. If you like what they do, jot them a note. If you don't, then listen to my sermon on holding your tongue this morning, okay? Uh, but these are, guys are great. You're blessed to have them as your pastors. Take good care of them. Well, it seems there's a new clerk at a grocery store, and he's in the produce department. A guy walks up to him and says, I'd like to buy a half a head of lettuce. And the clerk says, well, we only sell it by the head. He said, I don't want a whole head. I just want half a head. And the clerk doesn't know what to do. He says, let me talk to my manager. So he heads to the back of the store to find his manager. But unbeknownst to him, the man's trailing him the whole way. He sees his manager, goes up to him and says, some lame-brained idiot wants to buy half a head of lettuce. What should I tell him? And then he sees the look of horror on the manager's face. He turns around, and there's that man. And he says, and this wonderful gentleman wants to buy the other half. Nice try, clerk. Too late. You blew it. How many times have you and I said words are coming out of our mouths? We're trying to grab them, grab them back. Who have you and I wounded this week by what we've said with our tongues? Maybe on the way to church this morning, huh? The church is one of the places where the tongue is most destructive sometimes. What do you get when you cross a crocodile and an abalone? You get a crocabalone. And, and that is exactly what that old adage is. You know the one that goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, what words can never hurt me? That is a crocabalone. Words can destroy you and me. They can rip us apart. You know what I'm talking about. I've done it to other people. I've had it done with, to me. And again, the church of Jesus Christ is one of those places where sometimes our tongues are the most destructive. It was that way in the church that James, the Apostle James, is writing through. You're going straight through the letter of James this summer. And this morning, James, we're going to see that he writes what he does because he's writing to a church that's rent asunder by dissension, backbiting, gossip, character assassination. Occasionally, someone will say to me, Ron, you know what the problem with the church is? We need to get back to being like the New Testament church. 
I always say, whoa, obviously you haven't read the New Testament, have you? The New Testament exists primarily because the early church, which we think was so pure, you know, folks, the church is just a hospital for sinners. And in hospitals, there's blood and guts and sickness and disease. It's a place of healing, but it's also a place to come get healed when you're messed up. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. And so if there were not problems in the early church, New Testament would be about two pages long. Well, this morning, James is very concerned about what these early Christians are saying with their tongues to each other. Let's see what he's talking about. Please open your Bibles with me to James chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 12 verses, but let's pray before we read. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds now to your word, that we might clearly understand it, that we might gratefully receive it, and that we might faithfully apply it to our lives, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now, hear the word of God this morning addressed to you and me, beginning at the first verse of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Join me again as we pray. And now, Lord, as my words are true to your word, may they be taken to heart. But as my words should stray from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I ought to be shaking in my boots this morning. I'm standing right now in the most precarious place that a Christian can stand. That's before a congregation of God's people expounding that to them the Word of God. I'm going to be held under stricter judgment for what I say here this morning than the average person. I better get it right. In fact, when James pens verse 
one. His knees are knocking. He's a teacher in the early church. He's a preacher. He knows that like me, he's going to be held in strict judgment for the words he writes. If I don't get it right, woe be to me. Last Holy Week, beginning of Holy Week, I received a video in, the, in my email from the president of a seminary of our former denomination. It was an Easter greeting to the community of this seminary. And this seminary president was able to speak about Easter for over five minutes without ever once mentioning the name of Jesus or the resurrection. My friends, that video was theological malpractice. One of my favorite shows growing up on TV was The Lone Ranger. I was thinking last week, they couldn't do The Lone Ranger today. You know, the big line, who was that masked man? Well, everybody. Uh, but one of the lines I remember as a kid was spoken by the Indians. It seemed like it was every week. It wasn't, but it was this line. White men speak with forked tongue. Snakes speak with forked tongue. So does that seminary professor. He said Easter's about coming through this hard year of COVID, and, but it's, that's not going to be all there is. There's hope coming. That was it. He's going to be held under strict judgment. So am I. If I don't exposit this word faithfully to you this morning. James goes on in verse 2 to say, you know, we stumble. We're fallen sinners. All of us stumble. And one of the key places we stumble is with this little thing down here between our teeth, our tongues. He said, if you can bridle your tongue, if you can master your tongue, he says, you're a perfect person. That means your whole body, you're going to be able to bridle your whole body. Get your whole life in control if you can master this tongue. I don't like the way the ESV translated that Greek word. It can be translated perfect or mature. I think mature is better. There's only one perfect person. That's Jesus. But are you mature in Christ? Am I mature in Christ? When I talk to people about maturity in Christ, I usually say this to them. Show me your checkbook and I'll tell you just how mature you are in Christ. What James is saying here this morning is, let me see your tongue, and I'll tell you how mature you are in Christ. And James goes on in verses 3 through 5 to give you and me examples of how a very little thing can impact something very large. The first example is a horse and a bit. You know, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, bit's about the size of your hand, and yet it can control, if the rider knows what he's doing, control this big horse. You know, I love the rodeo. I love going to the rodeo in San Antonio. And one of my favorite things is the cutting horses. I'm just amazed how deftly those, I mean, those horses cut on a dime. And that rider just knows how to flick that rein just enough. It's amazing. Second illustration he gives us is of a ship and a rudder. Picture a aircraft carrier, you know, the size of a small city. And yet that thing is directed by a relatively small rudder that can direct that ship through the ocean. I heard a story about an aircraft carrier that was on maneuvers in the middle of the night in the Pacific. And the 
sailor was at the wheel and he sees some lights in the distance, another ship, and it's coming right for them. So he flashes and signals to them, turn five degrees to the right. You're on a collision course with us. The message comes back, no, you turn five degrees to the left. And so the sailor goes and gets the admiral, wakes him up, brings him down to the bridge and says, admiral, that ship won't turn and it's heading right for us. So the admiral gets on signals, this is admiral so-and-so. I order you to turn five degrees to the north or to the right. Message come back. This is ensign so and so. No, you turn five degrees to the left. Well, the admiral is furious this time, and he signals. This is an aircraft carrier. I order you to turn. Message comes back. This is a lighthouse. You'd better turn. Then the last illustration James gives us in verse 5 is the human tongue. It's amazing. This little thing between our teeth, just a few words, I can make you feel really good or I can tear you to shreds. Jesus uttered two words with his tongue, follow me. And 12 men turned the world right side up. Who's your encourager in your life? A friend, teacher, coach? Who's spoken words like this to you? You can do it. I think you're the greatest. I love you. You're God's gift to me. Every day I pray, because I'm a Celt, and I leap before I look, and I'm quick to just say something before my brain gets into gear. So I pray every day, Lord, my mouth and tongue belong to you. Please help me weigh every word I say today. Help me to choose carefully what I say and to be an encourager to everyone I meet, especially my wife Annie and my kids and my grandson. What about you? Is your tongue bridled? Jesus' three last words from the cross ought to be the most encouraging, upbuilding words that you hear today. Especially when you realize, yes, Ron, I stumble. I'm a fallen sinner. I can't check my tongue. I just, I wonder, am I lost? Am I hopeless? No, here's what Jesus said. It is finished. Meaning on the cross, he took your tongue and mine to the cross with him. He took every sin, no matter how grievous, no matter how many, and he has redeemed every one of them, covered them with his blood. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then in verses 5 and 6, James shows us the really destructive power of our little tongues. He plays Smokey the Bear here. Remember that public service announcement? Only you can prevent forest fires. Last year, remember, we read about the massive fires in California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Australia, Australia, where over a billion animals were burned to death. Oftentimes, it's a little match or a cigarette. An inferno erupts. James says, that's the way the human tongue is. Just a little spark, and we can set the world on fire and incinerate people. 
Apparently, the people in the early church of James Day were practicing sort of a scorched earth policy with each other, burning each other left and right. And you know, we're in more danger in the 21st century church than those first century Christians. Why? Because you and I have extensions to our tongues. We've got these wonderful extensions that make our tongues so long that we can actually slit our own throats with them. What are they? Blogs, Twitter, Facebook, emails. I graduated from high school in 1968 when it wasn't baseball or football season. Uh, I caught the bus every day to go home because, well, students didn't have, few students had cars on campus back in those days. Let's say Sally breaks up with my best friend, Michael Curry, that day at school. I find out about it right before the day ends. Well, I've got to catch my bus. I get on the bus. I go home. I'm going to call Mike and find out. We had one landline in our home. And don't you be on that phone more than one minute. Don't tie up that phone. Um, so then we'd have dinner. I'm thinking about Sally. I'd really like to sock her between. I'm time to do my homework. No TV till you go do your homework. So I would go to my room with all my social media, which amounted to an AM radio. That was it. And then I'd go down and watch our one black and white TV. Then I'd go to bed. In bed, I'd think about Sally and how I slept on it. By morning, I'd calm down. By morning, chances are Sally and Michael had gotten back together again. Yeah. Today, Sally dumps my best friend, and I can unleash in a matter of seconds a whole wave of bullying and ripping her apart to shred. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have done it. I've been on the receiving end of some of that. So have all your pastors, believe me. We can't tame our tongues. So what should be my admonition to you today? You're probably thinking, now he's going to tell us, tame your tongue. No, I'm not going to tell you to tame your tongue. You know why? You can't. It's an impossibility. James goes on to talk about almost every kind of animal has been tamed by human beings. You know, where's the Gunther Gable Williams of the tongue world when we need him? You remember him? The great lion tamer, Ringling Brothers Circus. How can we tame our tongues? We can't do it. Um, we've tamed just about every other kind of animal. You know, I, uh, in San Antonio, we've got Sea World. You can go and see dolphins doing all kinds of wonderful tricks. About six weeks ago, one of my good friends in San Antonio died, Ray Figora, member at First Press San Antonio. And for over 40 years, he was the head elephant trainer and tamer at the San Antonio Zoo. And you, we can tame all kinds of animals, but we can't tame the human tongue. Why? Because the animals are part of the natural world. And James goes on in verses 11 and 12 to give you and me three other, three other examples of what, what it's like in the natural world. He says, if you're walking along, you're not going to come across a spring that's spewing out fresh water and salt water at the same time. 
not in the natural world. He says you're never going to come across a, 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 a fig tree and you reach up to pick a fig and it's an olive. Or you're not going to find a grapevine that's producing figs, not in the natural world. He says you're not going to stumble across a, a salt pond and, and jump in it and be surprised because it's not salty, not in the natural but when we're dealing with the human tongue, we're not dealing with the natural world. We're dealing with the supernatural world. Want proof? Look at where the fire of our tongue comes from, James says. Where? Hell. Satan wants your tongue and mine. He wants to use that as a, his weapon, particularly inside the church. James says, some of you Christians are praising Jesus in the morning. Oh, Lord, I love you. I love you. And then ripping apart somebody in the afternoon. In the 21st century, have you shot an email off Sunday afternoon after you've worshipped, ripping somebody to shreds? We praise God, and then we turn around and curse somebody made in his image, James See, we've entered now the supernatural world. The reason you can't tame your tongue is because it's in the possession of Satan. It's spiritual warfare. The only way your tongue and mine can be tamed is through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you and I have a tongue problem, it's not really a tongue problem. It's a heart problem. With your tongue in mind, we can bring people to Christ or we can repel them. When I was a student at Trinity University, one day I was getting dressed in the locker room after working out. The pastor of the Presbyterian Church on the campus came walking in. He didn't know who I was, but I knew who he was. I was on a prodigal journey away from Christ in college, so I never darkened the door of his church. And he was talking to some man, I didn't know who, who that was, but I was listening in, and I heard that Presbyterian pastor drop a whole lot of cuss words. I loved it. I, loved it. I was looking for any excuse to stay on my journey away from Christ, and he handed, he had no idea that what he was saying to somebody else was sending a college kid running the other way from Christ. When they interview people on the street and say, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say Christian? You know what the number one word is? Judgmental. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that ought not to be. You've got a problem with their tongues. You can't tame your tongue. But Christ can. Satan wants your tongue. Christ wants your heart. And if you give Christ your heart, then he'll deal with your tongue and mind. No, we're not going to be perfect, but we can be more mature and clean up. You know, the Christian life is a battle for vocal and verbal holiness and sanctification. The book of James is about doing the faith. The way you and I speak is a part of doing the faith. So what are we to do? Only one thing. 
We say Jesus is Lord, but is he Lord of your tongue? You come to Christ by surrendering your life to Christ. You deal with your tongue by surrendering your tongue to Christ. I want to take 20 seconds right now and invite you in silence to surrender your tongue to Christ and ask the Holy Spirit to get a hold of your tongue, help you know when to speak, when not to speak, and be a bridle so that when you do speak, people come to Christ and don't run the other way. 20 seconds of silence. I'm going to re-surrender my tongue to Christ. I hope you'll join me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers. Let me close with a true story, a supernatural story of what it looks like when Christians are able to hold their tongue and bridle their tongue and then speak when they need to. True story, last August, Aleppo, Syria. Islamic terrorists captured 11 Christians. They told the Christians, we're going to kill you, but if you will verbally, with your tongue, renounce Jesus as Lord, we will let you go free. All 11 Christians held their tongues. To give them a little bit of incentive, they began to torture some of the Christians in front of the others. Still, not one of the 11 spoke. Silence. So they upped the ante and they began to crucify each of the Christians. All 11 Christians were hanging on crosses. That's all it took to finally loosen their tongues. And all 11 Christians began to pray together the Lord's Prayer. And then they began to sing hymns. Well, this unglued the Islamic terrorists, and so they beheaded all 11 Christians to silence them. Who had those Christians' tongues? Who's got your tongue? Who's got mine?